0: Way of introduction my name is mike jacobs i'm the lead pastor of transform ministries and just on behalf of all of life doxa revelation church and transform we just want to say welcome to you guys and it is so good to see god's people gathered together uh, how many of you were here last year when we did the same event oh my goodness that's fantastic like more than half Of you guys, our first time is here this year, so welcome. We're super excited to spend this time together. If you brought your Bible this morning, doesn't matter if it's a physical Bible or if you use a device, if you could turn to First Peter chapter one. We're going to spend some time in this text this morning, and I'm anticipating what the Spirit desires to do in His church this morning through uh, this just small handful of verses that we get to look at together. As we begin our time, if you would pray with me, I just want to take a moment. Let us settle and calm our hearts before the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we come before you as your creation, as your people. Lord, I ask that as we humbly submit ourselves to your word this morning, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts to activate us, to open our ears and not only give us comprehension to what you want to say to us, but Lord, that you would give us The ability to apply and put into action what we see here. Lord, your word is never to be approached lightly. God, because you are sovereign and you have given us your word and you have called us, Lord, to obey you and to walk in a way that reflects you in this world. We are called to be salt and light. And Lord, I thank you that this morning we gather as your church to do just that. In a public place, Lord, this is salt and light. And so, Jesus, I pray that there would be an attraction to this gathering. Lord, that there would be lost in this park right now that are drawn to listen and to come and see what you are doing through your church, through your people. God, I pray that as your spirit moves, that you would lead this time, that you would receive all glory, all recognition. God, that you would be the one that we look to and that we honor and glorify. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here this morning, in this place, as it is in heaven. It's our prayer, and we ask God that you do this for your name's sake. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. C.S. Lewis shared a story once about a, a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. If any of you have children, you know this is a dangerous question to ask. And he was, a schoolboy was asked what he thought God was like and replied that as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. Kids are uh, funny and really honest and sometimes can reveal things that we think in our own hearts, can't they? That's exactly sometimes how we approach God or how we treat God. God's just the one that's snooping around trying to be the killjoy of all my fun. If I was asked the question what God was like, I would probably consider and answer carefully, especially as a pastor, and as a pastor, probably want to respond quite theologically. And you would expect that of me, wouldn't you? I think amongst the gathering of believers, my answer would be widely accepted and agreed upon because we know God, we revere his word and what he said to us and what he's revealed to us about himself in it. However, while the words that we respond with can be theologically correct and should be tested against the word of God to see whether our confession is true, my honest belief in who God is is revealed in how I live. Who I truly believe God is is revealed in the lifestyle and the way that I live. Do I really believe that God is good or do I think that God's just out to ruin my good time? Do I really believe that he prescribes what's best for me in his word, then if I obey it, that that's going to be the best course for my life? Do I love him above anyone or anything else and let all the actions of my life shape themselves accordingly to that love and that intimate relationship? The ultimate revelation of my relationship with God is not left only to my confession of who he is, but church, this is true for us. It's the combination of our thoughts, our words, and our actions. These things matter. They prove what we really believe about God. It's like mama used to say, talk is cheap. Why did mama used to say that? I ask myself that all the time. Why did mama used to say talk is cheap? It was because she didn't believe me when I said I cleaned up my room. And probably rightfully so. Talk is cheap because you can just say something and not have to do it in the moment. But eventually, what happens? Well, you have to answer the call when you get called on the carpet, right? Mom's going to go look at your room. She's going to find out if you actually did what you said that you did. There's consequence. Guys, talk is cheap. And I fear, church, that we drift in the direction of being a people of cheap speech. People that talk a really good Christianity but may not really live it. And so this morning as we come together, I wanna challenge you along with myself, all of us together as the body of Christ to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Because my fear is that as we rightly celebrate and in some quarters rediscover all that Christ has saved us from, that oftentimes we're giving little thought and making little effort concerning all that Christ has saved us to. Where's he taking us? What does he wanna do through his church in this community through this body, returning to the schoolboy who had the audacity to speak his heart. He, think, he thinks God is life's party pooper. He's out to squash all the fun that we wanna have. And so do we confess with our mouths that his theology is wrong, yet in our hearts, oftentimes in our actions, we live like that schoolboy's right? How do we find out? Well, I think here in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, we have some keys to understanding this a little more fully. If you look at the text with me, I'll be reading from the CSB. Use whatever version you like. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, reading down through verse 16, Peter writes this for us. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are called to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. As Peter begins this new section in the first chapter, he says, therefore, and the therefore in verse 13 is equivalent to, in view of the fact that even though you're undergoing many kinds of trials, which he talks about in verse six, and yet because your heavenly inheritance awaits you, verses three through six contain the instruction for that. He says, ready your minds for action. Prepare your minds to take action, not just to think about it, but to put things into play. Peter uses an expression referring to gathering up around the waist, the long, loose, eastern robes that would hamper your progress in running or exerting. We've probably heard it if we've read the King James as kids, or if we still do, gird up the loins of your mind, he would say. In other words, tie these robes up and get ready to do something, to take action, to be active. And so Peter says, ready your minds for this kind of action. He's using a physical picture to explain a mindset of readiness. And so readying your mind involves removing from thought all that would hamper you, From the onward progress of the christian life it's removal from the mind the things that stop you from honoring god or doing what god has called you to do and this is not implied within the text that we do this temporarily this isn't a refresher of like okay now people let's get this going just for a little bit we need a little burst of holiness and then we can go back to doing what we want to do this is a call in our lives to give ourselves to god and to prepare our minds for action Always, to always be in a place ready to live out and to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be who he has called us to be. The reading of our minds, along with the sobriety of mind that he mentions here, which, by the way, means to be temperate and self-controlled. To have sobriety of mind is to be a self-controlled person. This is a permanent change, meaning that now in Christ, as his disciples running with endurance, the race that's set before us, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, that we need to look to Jesus and we need to go in that direction and not stop. That that's what we're here to do now as new creations, as Paul tells us that we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, you are a new creation. So we have a new direction. We have a new heading. And that means that we aren't, occupied in our minds anymore with the things of this world now we have earthly duties but how often do those earthly things that we have to do going to work taking care of our families all these types of things how many times is that the primary and not the product of our relationship with christ the way you love your family is the product of your intimate relationship with jesus the way that you go to your job and do your job is the product of your intimate relationship with Jesus. It's not that Jesus is a supplement to your life. He is the core. He is the nucleus. He is the one that everything flows from. Amen? Amen. That is the call of the church. That is the heart of God for his people. is to be a people that live their lives in response to the intimate relationship that they have with him. He says, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ i don't know about you guys but sometimes i struggle with words can you guys help me with this set your hope completely what do you take that to mean what does completely mean you can say it completely (laughs) it's completely it's not partial set your hope a little bit on jesus and the rest of it should really be on your savings account Is that what it says? No. No, good job. Set your hope completely on the revelation, it says, on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set it completely on Him. Do you want to know why we get disheartened? Our hope isn't completely set on the grace that's to be revealed at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know why we struggle with depression? You know why we struggle with so many things in our lives? It's because we aren't setting our complete hope and everything in our lives on the revelation of Jesus Christ, on his coming, on his fulfillment. Our hope is perfectly, unchangeably, without a doubt, placed in the grace that will culminate God's redemptive activity through Jesus in us when he returns. Amen? Now, we just said and agreed. You agreed that that's the right mindset. Is that what our lives look like? Is that what we're reflecting in our actions and what we do? If we believe that, we testify with Peter in Acts 4.12 when he says, there's salvation in no one else. This is one of our favorite verses as the church. Peter says, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Do you realize, realize how much of a temptation it is for us right here in this gathering to put our hope in stimulus? You know, before that stimulus, I really didn't know how it was going to go for us. May not have be been able to afford that big screen, and oh, that didn't happen. You guys, our hope is not in things of this world. Our hope is not in things of this world. Our hope is untouchable. Our salvation has been secured by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sake. Amen? where it's at he paid for me he paid for you that salvation is going to culminate when christ returns and it is in that unchangeable truth that we place our hope that's what gets me excited about tomorrow that's what makes me excited about today you guys can think i'm a complete goofball up here that's okay you want to know why because you're stuck with me for eternity That's radical. You're stuck with me for eternity. I'm stuck with you for eternity. Here's the thing. You guys, this is very exciting to think about. God has brought us into his family. He has changed us. If if we offend each other, if we struggle in this life, we need to pursue reconciliation because we got a lot of time together on the other side. We got a lot of time to spend together in glory with Jesus. This is just the warm-up. This is the soft opening if you will you guys with our hope in christ with jesus as our rudder in life he is steering us in the direction that we ought to go that's the proper placement the proper positioning of his body take a look at what first peter 1 14 says because this is the next thought that he carries us to as obedient children do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance as obedient children literally the greek in this reads as children of obedience you're like that's pretty much what said yeah i'm just showing you it's accurate Of course, the word of God is accurate, but understand this. He is saying that we are to be obedient children. Is that what you would expect to read after the buildup in verse 13? You would read verse 13, go, get ready. All right, I'm ready. Be sober-minded, locked in, right? Looking to Jesus and his return. Are you ready for the next part? Go be a world changer nope what does it say be an obedient child now i didn't get any shouts i didn't get anybody jumping around excited why because in our world you guys and we struggle with this creativity relevance being a world changer all sound better than boring old obedience don't they Let's think about it. How many of us are really passionate about obedience? What do you love in life? Would obedience be the first word out of being obedient to God, favorite thing ever? I'm passionate about obedience. By the way, if your kids say that, can we talk about them being my kids? No, but like you understand what I'm saying. Like we, that's not something we're naturally passionate about. It's something that our world is not passionate about. What does the world tell you? Be a rebel, you be you, you do what you want. Don't worry about what people say. Stand up. Do your own thing. What is God passionate about for his church? Obedience. Being obedient to him. The reason, church, why we're called to be obedient is because through obedience, we're conformed into the image of Jesus. When we obey what God has told us to do, we are reflecting Christ because that's who Jesus is. He came to this earth to be obedient to the point of the cross read Philippians chapter 2 Jesus showed us the model of what it was like to sacrifice yourself unto obedience and you know what that may mean you're not going to be a world changer by the world standards but it means that you will fulfill the role that God has called you to here on this earth because we share this every single one of us shares this calling to be obedient to the Father is it easy You can answer is it easy no No. good resounding no I agree it's not easy is it important it's vital it's absolutely essential do you want to know why I hope you do because you get to hear it anyway John chapter 14 verse 15 Jesus says this if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Have you ever thought about that self-contained, just thought about and prayed over that statement that Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments? It's as simple as that. Not only are we called to obey him as a loving response to him in our personal relationship with him, but we're to teach others to lovingly respond through obedience. Think about this passage that we know so well. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you came to our Easter gathering, Zach taught this passage. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch the part about obedience in there? Did you catch how that ties it all together? That we are not just to make disciples and define what making disciples is like according to our own mind. We're to baptize people very specifically. All of this is tied together with his statement of teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's obedience. If we're teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It reveals the heart when we respond through obedience. Now, this isn't something that we can fake because God knows your heart. and He knows my heart. I can't fake him out of this. But we need to teach people to obey as a loving response in relationship. Nothing contrived, nothing made up. But in response to your love of God, you live in such a way. What happens following this is the church is identified by obedience. The church becomes something that's identified by obedience. Romans chapter 16, verse 19, Paul recognizes this and he says this to the church in Rome. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. That doesn't sound exciting, does it? Everyone knows you're obedient. Good job. Do you realize this is what God wants? That that he longs? For this recognition of obedience from us. As the four churches gathered here in this area. That we should long to be identified through obedience. Both individually and collectively. The reputation of the church matters. And I want to ask us this question this morning. Is our reputation one of obedience? Is that what we're known for? If someone comes up you and wants to know about your fellowship or somebody asks about your fellowship between a friend says hey i I, you know i heard about this church over there what what's their service like rock and roll baby no i'm just kidding like would you what's it like what what are the people like what's the church like would someone look at you look at that other person about your church and say they just obey god they just obey the lord they do what he says they believe the Bible so much, they actually live it out. The culture we create in our churches can have no greater declaration than in this place, Jesus Christ is obeyed. If people walk into your church, is that something that they will understand about us? In this place, Jesus Christ is obeyed. Not because we're trying to earn his favor, because we absolutely are in love with the savior a loving response to his salvation empowered by the holy spirit is a mighty testimony it's a mighty testimony to the power and the work of god for those who love jesus and walk in his ways are filled with the spirit and those people who are filled with the spirit are passionate about the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh let me read to you the rest of the quote from Jesus in John chapter 14. I read just chapter five, or verse 15 to you. Let me read all the way down through verse 17 now. Jesus says this, if you love me, this is what I read before, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. We are not left to ourselves to live a life of obedience. God has empowered every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus to do this via the Holy Spirit. This is life-altering stuff because I'm willing to guess that there are many here that struggle in the same way that I do, and that is reverting back to the life of the flesh. To try to do things on my own, with my own resources and my own power. And God has told us, church, listen, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live godly and holy lives. And that's exactly where Peter's going to take us next in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses 15 through 16. He says this. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Do you ever read those verses and get really intimidated? Do you ever read about holiness in the Bible and feel like it's just kind of an idea and not really a standard? Not really a command that God expects of us? I love reading that passage in John chapter 14 in conjunction with this because Jesus reveals to us, I have empowered you by my spirit to be a holy people, to live holy lives. This is something that we are all empowered to do. Holiness is the byproduct of a believer that is in loving obedience to Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Christian standard for living is Jesus. And Jesus was empowered by the Spirit and obedient to the end. That's not a popular message if you want to fill up a large cathedral full of people. But it's the truth. And it's what God expects of us. Holy submission unto the Father, despite the shame, the suffering, the rejection, to value the perfect plan of the Father over the life that we want or wrongfully think that we deserve. Maybe you're going through something right now that you don't feel you deserve. What about Jesus? What did he go through that he didn't deserve? Maybe you feel like you've been asked too much or you've laid down one too many times and people are walking all over you. And they have no right to do that. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus continually laid his life down. And he says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. It doesn't mean it's easy. Good thing he didn't leave you to do it alone. He filled you with his Holy Spirit. You are empowered to live a life that looks like Jesus. We weren't created to get what we want out of this life. We were created to glorify God. You and I were not put here to get what we want. Maybe what you want the most right now is to leave this covered area. (laughs) You guys, I wasn't put here to get what I want. I was put here to glorify the Lord the same way that Jesus did to glorify the Father the same way that Jesus did, and that's by submitting my life unto him in obedience. And through that, I can be holy as he is holy, only by his purchase on the cross, only by the filling of his spirit. It's all him. We can't take credit. I can't take credit for living a holy life. It's only made possible by the Lord, but we are foolish to think that it's something we should not be aiming for. God is most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in Him. God is the most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in Him. And the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. If you enjoy God more than anything else, how hard is obedience? It's difficult when we're trying to do it under our own strength, it's difficult to do it with our flesh. But if I enjoy God the most, if he's who I love the most, if he's the one that I want to be like, if he's the one I'm in fellowship with, if my relationship with him is primary, all I want is to please him. All I want is to obey him. This is a call back to intimacy with the Lord within our hearts. If my joy is found in him, there's no room left for my flesh or my sin. It has to die. Some are gonna get baptized this morning and it's a representation of what the Lord has done for us. The old has passed away as that body goes into the water and behold, the new has come in resurrection. Jesus has made us all new. Do we live like it? Do we live like it? Do our lives reflect that? Is it more than words? Can somebody look at your life and see an example of Jesus? This is what we're called to, church. I want to close with a very short verse from a hymn. It's a hymn entitled, I Gave My Life for Thee. It reads this way, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransomed be and quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me?